Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Go and grab your Bibles, turn to Exodus 26. Exodus 26, if you're gonna, you're gonna turn there and then you're gonna read some words and be like, I don't, I don't think I wanna do this today. And that's fine. Uh, it's, it's not exciting. Uh, so we're gonna read it together. Exodus chapter 26, we continue our series through the book of Exodus. On our website, SharonChurch.com is a link that will take you to more resources for the rest of this study. Um, a study guide. Uh, for your small group leaders, but also for you. With study helps in it, on the website are videos and resources and links for you to study more into the book of Exodus, if you so desire. Also on that website will be a way for you to download a family guide for you. So if you're looking for a way to disciple your children, uh, we have a guide that's been created that you can actually take your children through this second half of the book of Exodus, stuff that you're learning. You can do that with them as well. And so that's on our website as well. Also, there are signs scattered throughout the hallway that have QR codes you can scan, you know, download it right to your phone. Uh, so you can do that as well. But we'll be in Exodus chapter 26 this morning. And like I said, this is one of the more boring chapters in all of Scripture. So on the screen right now are more verses I'm going to cover uh, to get us uh, into where I believe God is leading us this morning. I just want you to see it all comes from Scripture, nothing that has been made up um, by us. In this chapter, um, God has delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, the Israelites or the Hebrews. They've been in slavery 430 years. God has delivered them. And they're now making their journey to Canaan or the promised land, the land that God has prepared for them. And on their way there, they make this pit stop at Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, Moses ascends the mountain and he goes up into essentially the inner circle, the highest peak of the mountain, and he meets with God. And God descends like fire and smoke. It looks chaotic and dangerous from the ground, but Moses is at peace in the presence of God. And when Moses meets with God, the first thing God does is God gives him a blueprint for what he, what he wants Moses to build called the tabernacle. Tabernacle is just a word that means dwelling place or tent. So this would uh, turn into later, would become the temple in Jerusalem. But this is what God first gives him. And it's this um, intricately designed tabernacle. And God spends uh, the rest of the book of Exodus with Moses on top of the mountain, essentially telling him what he wants. And so we're studying this uh, chapter by chapter or verses by verse at a time. And so you're going to read through this this morning. And again, I want you to know you will be bored out of your mind while I'm reading it. I just want you to know that straight up. If anyone's ever told you the whole Bible is exciting, they lied to you. It's not. This is not exciting. This is so, so like, gosh, you, you're just going to want to leave while I'm reading it. And it's a lot of verses. I want to encourage you, don't leave. We're going to get through it. I believe it is God's inspired word. And while it might be boring, it's still important. And some of you need to hear, sometimes boring things are important to you. And you just got to stick it out. You just got to stay with it. This is important. If it wasn't important, God would not have given it to us. Now, it's different in importance to us than it was to Moses because we aren't supposed to be building a tabernacle. If you were the one building it, you'd probably pay more attention. And if you were on the mountain with God and God's telling you, you'd probably pay more attention. But this is important for us. And so as we read it, please know you will be distracted and bored and you're gonna feel like I've said the same thing a million times. It's because I have, because that's how it's written. But we're gonna read all of it together and then we're gonna study this passage together. Exodus chapter 26. 
We're going to do all 37 verses together. Take a deep breath. Buckle up. Moreover, which is always a good way to start, right? And in addition to that, moreover, you, Moses, shall make the tabernacle with 10 curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. If you're taking notes, you can underline skillfully. The blue, purple, and scarlet yarns, we can just go to a craft store and buy it. This would have been the finest of yarns because of the process in which they would have to do to dye it. Verse 2. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, and the breadth of each curtain, four cubits. All the curtains shall be the same size. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set. Likewise, you shall make loops on the edge of the outermost curtain in the second set. Fifty loops you shall make on the one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is in the second set. The loops shall be opposite one another. And you shall make fifty clasps of gold and couple the curtains one to the other with the clasps, so that the tabernacle may be a single whole. You shall also make curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. Eleven curtains you shall, shall you make. The length of each curtain shall be thirty cubits, and the breadth of each curtain four cubits. The eleven curtains shall be the same size. You shall couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves, and the sixth curtain you shall double over at the front of the tent. You shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in the second set. That's just 10 verses. Verse 11. You shall make 50 clasps of bronze and put the clasps into the loops and couple the tent together that it may be a single whole. And the part that remains of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remains, shall hang over the back of the tabernacle. And the extra that remains in the length of the curtains, the cubit on the one side and the cubit on the other side, shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle, on this side and that side to cover it. And you shall make for the tent a covering of tanned ram skins and a covering of goat skins on top. Now, some of your translations there don't say that. They say something about badger skins. And I believe some of yours say something about porpoise skins. God did that on purpose. So that's why it's in there. You're welcome. So uh, it's a weird word for the Hebrew translators to really figure out what it means. It could mean any of those things. What it comes down to is it's probably waterproof because it goes on top of the tabernacle. So God has planned there. He purposely did it. Verse 13. I'm sorry, uh, 15. And you shall make upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. Ten cubits shall be the length of a frame and a cubit and a half the breadth of each frame. There shall be two tenons in each frame for fitting together. So shall you do for all the frames of the tabernacle. You shall make the frames for the tabernacle, 20 frames for the south side and 40 bases of silver. You shall make under the 20 frames, two bases under one frame for its two tenons and two bases under the next frame for its two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle, on the north side, 20 frames and the 40 bases of silver, two bases under one frame and two bases under the next frame. Verse 22, and for the rear of the tabernacle westward, you shall make six frames and you shall make two frames for corners of the tabernacle in the rear and they shall be separate beneath, but joined at the top at the first ring. Thus shall it be with both of them. They shall form the two corners and there shall be eight frames with their bases of silver, 16 bases, two bases under one frame and two bases under another frame. You shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the frames on the one side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames on the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames on the side of the tabernacle at the rear westward. The middle bar, halfway up the frames, shall run from end to end. 
You shall overlay the frames with gold and shall make their rings of gold for holders for the bars. And you shall overlay the bars with gold. Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. Then after it's erected, verse 31, you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang on it, hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold on four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony there within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat of the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. We talked about all that last week. And you shall set the table, the table of showbread, outside the veil and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle opposite the table. And you shall put the table on the north side. You shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen and embroidered with needlework. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia and overlay them with gold and their hooks shall be of gold. And you shall cast five bases of bronze for them. We doing okay? So God <clears throat> saw fit to include in his holy scriptures, Exodus 26. And we read it and we're like, I, what, I don't, what do you want me to do with all that information? And so there have been plenty of scholars who have dug into what the numbers mean and what these things mean. And I read one guy who said, well, the bases were made of silver and then, but there's no flooring. And so the flooring represents uh, the flesh or the earth and the silver represents God and it would never touch. And I don't, this, no, I can't go that far with all. I don't know what you want me to say here. So there's so many things that are happening here. Uh, that I want to cover this morning, um, but I think we're going to do it in a particular way. So let me just show you this diagram of the tabernacle, because as we were reading it, I'm sure, I'm sure you understood exactly what God was saying to do. And so I, I'm just here for those three of us who didn't understand it. But this is the tabernacle on the outside would be the outer, what's called the courtyard. There would have been tents here that would have been built. And then you see the squiggly lines are the veils or the curtains. And we talked about last week, the Ark of the Covenant that has the mercy seat or the atonement cover on it. We talked about the lampstand and the table of showbread. And the next few weeks, we'll cover the altar of incense, the bronze basin and the bronze altar. But what's being described today is the structure itself. It's the tent itself. It's what's being described. The, uh, the bases and standards for it, it's, it's all in there. And he describes the veil. And so that's what's in between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. And so that's an important veil throughout the rest of Scripture. We'll cover that more in the weeks to come. But this is what God is describing. And so what I thought I would do this morning is just ask, how many of you are detailed people? How many of you like details? You enjoy details? How many of you think the person next to you is lying because you've lived with them? They don't care about details. They care about their details, not yours. Right? Isn't that true? Like, I mean, I'm such a detail-oriented person. Don't mess with my stuff. That's what I mean by that. Don't mess with my stuff. Um, I'm detail-oriented. Like right now, I can tell that the screens are off a little bit. The projector is. And it's driving me crazy. So I'm not even going to look over there anymore. I'm going to look straight ahead at you. I, when I get home sometimes from work and I notice a picture is crooked in the house, I will regrettably walk right past Meredith to go fix the picture. That's kind of how I'm designed. Uh, but truthfully, there are some things where I don't mind cutting corners. It's fine. If we get it done quicker, I'm totally fine with it. So there's detail-oriented people. How many of you are design-oriented people? You, you really look like you care about design, how things look, how they feel. Five of us, that, that tracks with where I think we are. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, so that, that matters, design matters. How many of you are practical people? I don't care what it looks like as long as it's practical. Give me practicality. Cool, I'll get you a vacuum for Christmas and you're gonna love it. You're gonna love what I just gave to you. 
So we're all wired particular ways. And a lot of times then that is expressed in the things that we do or in our heart and the way that we communicate. So what I thought I would do this morning is I would take Exodus 26, one of the more boring things we've ever read, and I would make it more exciting by talking about math. Is that cool? Uh, I taught math for a number of years, high school math. And I'll be honest with you, I love math. I love it. I think it's fascinating. I think it's everywhere. It's just amazing to me. And so what I want to do is talk about the Fibonacci sequence. So this will be on the screen. And you are so glad you came this morning to be a part of this. All right, so this is the Fibonacci sequence. Fibonacci, uh, mathematician, later turned kind of philosopher, but uh, he looked at numbers and what he realized is this. So he created this sequence. If you take the two numbers before, it adds up to the third number. So if you start with zero, zero plus one equals, so, all right, we're doing great. Well, it's on the screen too, so that helps you. Uh, zero plus one is one, then one plus one is two, one plus two is three, two plus three is five, three plus five is eight, five plus eight is 13. Everybody see where we're going here? Now, this goes into infinity. This continues going, this Fibonacci sequence, which is fine and nobody really cares, except for this Fibonacci sequence was later then uh, turned into what's called the golden ratio or the golden rectangle. And here's how you get to the golden ratio. You take the bigger number and you divide it by the smaller number. So it would be eight divided by five or 13 divided by eight, 21 divided by 13. And what you'll get is some iteration that starts off with 1.6, like 613 dot, dot, dot. The larger number you get uh, in the sequence of Fibonacci, the more detailed and precise that golden ratio becomes. So eight divided by five, all of that. Are we good so far? <laughs> feel like we're already ready to go home, but it's fine. We're gonna be fine. All right, so that's called the golden ratio. Now, what scientists and uh, philosophers, but mostly scientists have discovered is that this golden ratio is everywhere. I mean, everywhere in nature. So I'm going to show you, this is the golden ratio. This is it. So you can't really see, but at the beginning of the spiral are two ones from the Fibonacci sequence, those two squares that turn into a two, then three, five, eight, 13, 21, 34, 55. Do you see it? Of course you do, because you're lying, but it's there. This is again called the golden ratio. And so this shows itself in nature in this form. So on the next slide, I'll show you in nature where you see this. You see this in the petals of a rose. The way that roses um, are designed is that they actually follow this very thing. You can trace uh, the golden ratio. In fact, flowers, when they're in full bloom, uh, no matter the flower, depending on the kind of flower, each petal, the number of petals is actually a number from the Fibonacci sequence. So full bloom flowers will have uh, 8, 13, 21, 34, 55 petals. This is the Fibonacci sequence. And we see another one here of another flower. And you see the spiraling uh, from the inside on its way out. All right, next one. We also see it in hurricanes. When we track hurricanes, not we, like I'm part of it. Like when I say we're pregnant, we're not pregnant. Uh, but we, when, when, when people, when radiologists track hurricanes, uh, they see this very same thing, this golden ratio. All right, next. We also see it in the universe. Galaxies follow the golden ratio or the Fibonacci sequence. We see it in our very own, the way that stars are aligned. 
Next, we also see it in art. Mona Lisa, one of the most famous paintings of all time. If I'm going to be honest with you, I don't, I don't think she's attractive. I mean, I, think it's a, I don't think it's a beautiful painting. Like, I don't understand it. But I'm drawn to it. And you want to know why you're drawn to it? Because it is put in the golden ratio or what in art is called the golden rectangle. No matter where you look in the painting, it all works according to the golden ratio. Also, we see it in architecture, which I think is next. So what designers have realized is that this is what makes something beautiful. This is what draws our eyes and our affection and our attention towards something is here. If you were to go back a chapter and look at the Ark of the Covenant and take its dimensions, it would actually fit into the golden ratio and the Fibonacci sequence. It's almost as if God designed it to work this way. It's almost as if there's a creator who placed little imprints of himself in everything. What we learn in Exodus chapter 26 is that God is almost annoyingly concerned with details. Read back through it and see how specific God is. And then I want you to think through this. If Moses gets one of those numbers wrong, if he exchanges the length for the width, we don't have a tabernacle. He's detailed. Those things matter to God. And they don't matter to God because we're graded on it. They matter to God because his glory is displayed in it. That's why it matters. So here's what I'm going to tell you this morning. You're not going to walk out of here this morning with something to do. I don't, I don't think I can give you something to do today. But what I want to do is give you something to see. That's what I want to do today. The older I get, the more that I understand how beautiful things are. I remember as a kid, um, we were driving from Florida up into uh, the mountains to go camping, I think in Cherokee, North Carolina or something. And like my dad wanted to stop at all the overlooks. I'm like, can we just get there? Can we just, I want to go do things. And my dad's like, yeah, but look at all this. I'm like, oh, great, mountains. Which I, honestly, for Florida, I was like, wow, that's what? It's not flat. I can't see all the way across the coast. This is amazing. But as the older I get, the more I am enamored when I just stop and look around. There's something about where we live out here in Ola that makes the sunsets beautiful. I couldn't tell you what it is. Scientifically, I have no idea how it happens. But there's something about them. So what I want to show you today, I want to lift your eyes that you might see God. That's what I want to do today. I'm not going to give you something to do. There's nothing practical out of this. I just, I hope that you're able to see God today. That's my goal this morning. So for God to be detailed... What we have to learn is God didn't decide to be detailed in Exodus 26. It's not like God was like, well, now's the time. Now I'm going to be, I'm going to be a really specific. No, no, no. God's always been that way. There's something called the theology of first mention. So whenever you uh, first read of someone or a concept in scripture, it's often the purest form of that. So the first time we hear of God is back in Genesis. So you can turn to Genesis chapter one. It'll be on the screen. You can just write it down. But Genesis chapter one begins with in the beginning God. This is the first time we meet God, this creator, Yahweh. He created the heavens and the earth, which is great. That's fine. But then verse two is important. How did he, how did he do it? Well, the earth was without form and void. It was formless and empty. It was chaos. There's no form. There was nothing there. And the darkness was over the face of the deep, but the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. 
We don't have the time this morning, but if you were to continue to read through Genesis chapter one, what you would see is that this same God who designed the tabernacle and gave Moses the dimensions of frames and then begins to fill in the frames and then says, now erect the tabernacle. This is exactly how he created the world. He creates days. He frames the days. And if you're paying attention, in the very same order he frames the days, he fills the days. This is what God does. This is how God takes chaos and puts it into order. This is who he has always been. And he is annoyingly concerned with the details there. It's so precise and specific. Again, but it's not because we're going to be tested on it later. It's not because you're going to have to follow some kind of plan. It's because it reveals his nature. In the New Testament, in the book of Romans chapter 1, Paul is making this very claim to the people in Rome. He says, what can be known about God is plain to them. It's made known to them because God has shown it to them. So he's saying, even those far from God, you got to understand, God's made himself known to everyone on the face of the planet. He's made himself known. How? Well, verse 20 tells us, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Why? Why the Fibonacci sequence? Why the golden ratio? Why creation? Why the tabernacle? Because God is revealing who he is. If you ever get to a point of scripture where you're like, man, I don't know what to do with this. What I would encourage you to do, the first question is, what does this tell me about God? That's the first question. What does this scripture tell me about who God is? What Exodus 26 tells us is that God is concerned with detail. But inside of the detail that reveals his glory, it's more than just the detail. There's something more that's happening here. And it's not just creation that reveals this about God. If you were to look at your hand from your, the edge of your middle finger to your wrist, and then look at from your wrist to your elbow, if you were to measure that, do you know that the ratio between those two would be 1.6613 dot, dot, dot? From your toes to your belly button is the small number. From your belly button to your forehead is the big number according to the golden ratio. On your face, your face is oriented in the same way. So it's not just that God put his imprint in creation in the universe. According to Psalm chapter 139, David says, you've put me together. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now we read right through that. You cross stitch it. You write it uh, for baby showers. We don't know what it means. Here's what it means. That idea of fearfully, that's the idea of detail. I want you to think about when you were growing up and your mama said to clean your room. And it, you clean it differently when you know mama's coming behind you to check, don't you? That's fearfully. That the details matter. You don't want to leave anything else on the floor. Make sure you vacuum. Don't shove it all in a closet because she knows where to look. This is what I mean. Fearfully is so precise. Wonderfully alludes to the idea of uniqueness or beauty. How were we made? We were made with exact precision and for the goal of beauty. Now, I don't know how you feel about yourself today, but you need to know Psalm 139, God made you the way he made you on purpose with such precision and detail and also with great beauty to be displayed. And some of you ladies, you just need to memorize this and quit talking bad about yourself in the mirror. You've been fearfully and wonderfully made. 
As guys, we tell ourselves that all the time and we try to tell you also, but you don't listen. <laughs> Fearfully and wonderfully made, you've been knit together in your mother's womb. Now, I'm gonna say this as well. This statement is made after Genesis 3 in a world that's not as it should be, in a world that's imperfect. So what that means is that sometimes babies are born or are not born. And we wouldn't say they're beautiful. We wouldn't say they were made with detail because maybe they are hard of hearing. Maybe they're blind. Maybe they're missing extremities. Maybe they're paralyzed from the waist down. I just want to say this to you. The same God who designed the tabernacle and created the universe created that baby too. Fearfully and wonderfully. Not on accident. Didn't make a mistake. Fearfully and wonderfully. There's a story in the New Testament where uh, there's a baby born blind. And even the disciples want to know, why was this baby born blind? Did the mom sin? I bet she sinned. Did the dad sin? And Jesus looks at them and says, none, none of them. That's not what the issue he was born this way that the glory of God might be displayed in him. Fearfully and wonderfully made from the universe to us in humanity. Wonderful are your works, David continues. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven. Does that sound like Exodus 26? In the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. Does that sound like Genesis 1? In your books were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So in this psalm, David is not just saying you were formed fearfully and wonderfully. Now he's saying even the days of your life were formed fearfully and wonderfully. The same God that designed the tabernacle designed the days of your life. And I know, I know you don't feel that way today. You don't feel like this day was designed for you fearfully and wonderfully. I know you don't. And I love you enough to tell you, I don't care what you think. I care what the Bible says about your days. The Bible says he put them together. So if this same God, this God of detail, this God of creation, this God of the universe, this God of the human body, this God of the rose, this, this God of beauty, has also laid out your days. What does this tell us about our days? What does it tell us about God? Well, Paul in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, he says something similar. We are his workmanship. Greek word is poema, which means poem. We're his poetry. And I've said it before, but poetry is different from any other kind of art form because there are no rules when it comes to poetry which is why you sat in your high school literature class and you were told to memorize this poem and recite it before the class. And you were like, this isn't a poem. And your teacher's like, yeah, it's a poem. And you're like, no, it's not. Doesn't rhyme, has no rhythm. And she's like, no, it's a poem. And you're like, why is it a poem? And she's like, because Robert Frost wrote it. That's why it's a poem. <laughs> All right, right, there's no rules. So when God made you and he made me, no one told him how to do it. He did it. Were his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand. It's almost as if God formed our days and then he formed us to fit our days. So are you as gifted in music as Joel? No, no. Are you as patient and compassionate as Daryl? No. 
And yet God has called you to your days, to your work, to do your thing with your kids and your spouse or your singleness. It's almost as if the same God who was so detail-oriented with the tabernacle carried that same characteristic into your Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And he carried it into your marriage and he carried it into your upbringing. And he carried, this is the same God. He is immutable. He does not change. And so even God has said, no, no, I've got days and I've created you fearfully wonderfully for those days. Yeah, but I mean, haven't, haven't I made a mess of those days, right? Like hasn't my sin ruined God's will and plan for my life? You are not that powerful. If God is sovereign and God has a plan for your life, you think you, little you, can mess it up? Proverbs chapter 16, verse nine, Solomon says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So I don't know what ways you thought you were planning for your life, but can we all just admit none of that actually happened? Because maybe, maybe, just maybe, God established our steps. And maybe, just maybe, the same God who is so detail-oriented in the tabernacle and detail-oriented in creation with the Fibonacci sequence and the golden ratio, maybe, just maybe, that same God who fearfully and wonderfully made you has lovingly established your steps. And maybe what you're going through isn't a curse. Maybe what you're going through is actually a gift of God for his glory. Maybe that's what's happening. And I would argue throughout Scripture, that's exactly what's happening. Paul even says in Romans chapter 8 that we know for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. All things. In the Greek, that word all means all. It means all of them. It means everything. Your joys and your sorrows, all things. For those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose, You can trust it. You can bank on it. The same God who designed the tabernacle and designed creation and fearfully and wonderfully knit you together and designed your days and established your steps has the power to take unformed substance, to take the chaos of pre-creation, to take the chaos of your life and mold it into something beautiful. That same God can do it. What I want you to do this morning is to lift your eyes up. Lift your eyes up from your struggle and your pain and your grief. And I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see the God of the tabernacle who has planned with such precision. Psalm chapter 37 says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. And then verse 24, Though he fall." He shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. You have not messed up God's plan for your life. You have not. It is impossible. God's not surprised by the decisions you've made. He's not surprised by um, what happened in your failed marriage. He's not surprised by it. And in a broken world where we sin and fall short of the glory of God and we make decisions that uh, break the Father's heart, the Father's compassion for us meets 
meets with his precision of the tabernacle and he takes care of all of it. You're going to be okay. Lift up your eyes. See the sunrise and the sunset. See the stars in the sky. Hear the ocean. Look at the peak of a mountain. Watch a hummingbird flap its wings. Watch a bunny scurry across your backyard. Listen to a baby's laugh. Hear the sound of the last breath of a loved one. And know that the same God who designed the tabernacle and who designed the universe and has fearfully and wonderfully made you designed that moment too, that it might reveal his glory. Again, this morning, I'm not going to give you anything to do. I'm just going to ask you to lift up your heads and see God. Is there pain? Yeah. But the beauty of following Jesus is knowing that pain doesn't end in death. Pain ends in resurrection. And a God can handle it. God who designed all of it. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. You want God to be detail-oriented the same way you want your surgeon to be detail-oriented. In the same way, you want the people who clean our church to be detail-oriented. Thank you, Tasha. You want them to be detail-oriented, right? You want God to be this way. And he is. And not just in Exodus 26, but from Genesis to Revelation. I'm just trying to lift your eyes. Because again, according to Romans chapter 1, verse 20, his invisible qualities, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. The question is whether or not we see it. So my hope for us today is that we take Exodus 26 and we lay it over whatever our burden is today. I want us to take Exodus 26 from the precision and detail and both the practicality and the beauty of it. And I want us to lay it over. Lay it over your marriage. Lay it over your kids. Lay it over your plans for the fall. Lay it over your brokenness. Lay it over the loss of your job. Lay it over sickness. Lay it over infertility. Lay it over restoration. Lay it over joy and just see that it's the same God and you can trust him. Just bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. And even right now, when you're sanctified imagination, just begin to see God. Maybe for some of you, it's just, you've got to be able to see God at creation. See him speaking stars into the sky. See him speaking planets into orbit. See him. And the God with that power then turns to Psalm 139. He knit you together. And he knit your baby together. He knit your kids together. That God did. That same God. And then from there, that God planned your days. He's laid them out. And he's a good God. And you're not here today because you planned it. You're here today because God planned it. 
And that God can take days that we feel like are dark and broken and irredeemable. And he can work them together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And if you're here this morning and that's not you, like you don't love God, you aren't, you aren't a follower of Jesus. You need to see God like this. And the very fact that you've come today of all days to hear this message and sing these songs and sit next to that person, it's not because you woke up this morning thinking you should go to church. It's because God brought you here that he might call you according to his purpose. And for some of us today, I think the grief needs to turn to worship. I think we've got to lift our eyes and see that maybe, just maybe, the days that you had planned, maybe you're not the one who should be planning your days. Maybe God can do it better. And maybe the things you thought you wanted, God saw those things as things that would pull you away and not towards him. The very thing that you want and need. So in the stillness of this moment, maybe for some of us, we just need to come forward and pray. Maybe we need to turn in our seats and kneel and submit our days to the Lord. Like to humbly bow before and humbly say, I am not in charge of my days. You are. And I want you to be. I see. I see that you fearfully and wonderfully put all of this together. I see it all. And maybe just the very act of the humility of bowing will allow you to do that today. And maybe for some of us, it's just simply lifting our eyes away from our struggle, away from our strife, away from our grieving, and maybe we just lift our eyes to Jesus, the God of the tabernacle, with the acacia wood and the gold and the goat's hair, and the God of the detail to understand You're going to be okay. God's on his throne. Father, we love you. And we're trying to the best that we can, I think, in our flesh. I'm thankful that you're a gracious God who is able to forgive when my affections go other places. But you're a God who I know I can trust. So God, I pray that even through the reading of your scripture today, a passage that feels insignificant, feels like it doesn't matter, actually points to a powerful truth about your character and your attributes. And so God, would you give us the strength and patience to lay that truth over our lives? Give us eyes to see today. For some of us, God, give us eyes to see the sunset tonight. We might be overwhelmed by the beauty of it and to be reminded that you're as faithful as that. May we hear the sound of birds chirping. May we uh, experience the rain in ways that point to you to remind us that you're good and you're great. May we rest in your sovereign love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.